For today's podcast from the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies, we have a recording from Monday 11th of February 2013. For this event, Sarah Hall from Wiley Blackwell came to speak to the students on the topic of the publishing process at Wiley. Sarah used one of her projects as a case study to unfold the editorial process step by step. I'm going to be talking to you today about the uh, book publication process at Wiley. Um, because of the nature of my role, the talk will be given primarily from an editorial perspective, but I'll try as far as possible as I go through the talk and to bring in other aspects such as production and marketing as far as possible to give you as broad a picture as I possibly can about the book process from beginning to end. Um, I should also note that because the scope's pretty broad and we're going to be covering quite a lot of material, um, I will be giving a pretty high-level overview, but if anyone wants any more details about anything I touch on today, um, please feel free to ask questions at the end or we'll have a chat after the session. Um, so just quickly to run through the um, plan for the talk today, I'll start with a brief introduction to my role at Wiley and I'll also introduce you to a case study um, book that I've selected from our list um, just to highlight some of the processes I'm going to talk to you about today. Um, the bulk of the talk will be looking at the publication process um, from the very early commissioning stage of a book right through to publication. Um, and if there's time at the end, I'll be discussing briefly the backlist management side of things. So that's the day-to-day -day, um, management of books that have already published. Um, and I'll try to give you a very brief um, insight into my thoughts on how the industry is changing. Um, so, my role at Wiley. I'm coming up to five years at Wiley now, and this is my first job in publishing, so I'm, I'm still relatively new to the industry. Um, I started at Wiley as an assistant editor on our chemistry books list, and over the past few years I've worked my way up to commissioning editor. Um, at Wiley, our chemistry list is within um, what we call physical sciences, um, and it forms just one part of our physical sciences list, um, which also stretches to areas such as material science, physics, engineering, maths and stats, um, and we're also housed in our bigger division known as STMS, um, which stands for Scientific, Technical, Medical and Scholarly. Um, so we tend to look after um, very academic style of books, as opposed to your sort of school textbooks and, and first year undergraduate texts. Um, and I've just included a couple of pictures at the bottom here of my colleagues in editorial and marketing. Um, and I should say, for anyone that's wondering, um, I do have a background in chemistry myself. I did a degree in chemistry, which is how I made my way into this role. Um, but it's certainly not necessary for working in this kind of physical sciences area. Um, I would say that in our team at Wiley, perhaps half of my colleagues have some kind of scientific degree, um, but the other half um, really don't. For example, I have a colleague who works in engineering with an English degree. Um, so please don't be put off by considering these kinds of roles just because you don't have a scientific background. It's perfectly possible and it just means people work in slightly different ways. Um, so just quickly as an introduction to our products, um, we publish books at a variety of different levels, um, starting at what we call advanced textbooks, so it's sort of final year undergraduate student level and above. Um, the majority of our book list in chemistry um, is what we call professional and research level books. So um, these are really quite high level specialist books um, aimed at academic researchers in universities um, and industrial, industrial practitioners. Um, and then we also have um, a group of books which we term major reference works, which are um, essentially multi-volume reference encyclopedias. Um, and within um, our professional research level books, um, 
And just to mention, in case you're not familiar, we do um, distinguish two different types of books, um, your traditional authored books and also what we term edited books. So these are books where um, the book is, um, the concept for the book is put together by a leading editor who designs all of the content, um, but rather than writing the book himself, he will invite contributions from various other subject experts who prepare each of the individual chapters. Um, so when I refer to edited books, that's the sort of publication I'm, I'm talking about. And as you might imagine, um, in this age, we are now publishing um, digital versions of almost all of our print books as standard. And at Wiley, these tend to fall into two different camps. So we have what we call our online books, um, and these are sold via our online content platform, Wiley Online Library. And they're essentially PDF versions of our printed books, and these are aimed at the, um, primarily at the university um, library market. So a university will subscribe to our, our online books in the same way that they subscribe to journals, um, and anyone on the university network will be able to access a digital version of the books. Um, we also do what we call ebooks, so these are more geared at individual purchase, um, and we publish these in all sorts of formats so that people can read our books on iPads, Kindles, Nook, etc. Um, and this is an area of the business that's really developing very, very fast. Finally, just to introduce you to my case study text, um, this book here is actually due to publish next week on my list. Um, it's on a pretty specific um, area of chemistry within inorganic chemistry. And I have to confess, I don't know a huge amount about spin crossover materials either. So um, it's certainly not necessary for a commissioning editor to know the ins and outs of, of what they're publishing on. Um, this is one of these edited texts that I um, talked to you about. So Malcolm Halkrow is based at Leeds University, and he's really led the product, uh, project, developed the content, and invited all of the authors to contribute. Um, but the 21 chapters within this book are all written by um, various different people from around the world, all of whom are experts on the particular area that they're writing about. Um, it's a professional research level book, uh, pretty lengthy at uh, over 550 pages, which is probably at the upper end of what we publish. And just to give you a feel for the sort of timescale that you're looking at for our books, um, I first started thinking about this project way back in July 2010. The book was contracted later that year and it's publishing this month. So um, as you can see, there's a sort of a pretty long timescale of sort of typically two to three years um, from concept to publication. So if we move on to the, um, the process of publication now, there's sort of key, six key steps um, from beginning to end um, that I'm going to address one by one in this talk. Um, the first stage is the commissioning, and I'm going to dwell on that in quite a lot of detail in a minute, um, because that's what forms a large part of my job as a commissioning editor, and it's the part of my job that I really do find most interesting. There's a huge amount of variety, um, and I get to meet um, an amazing bunch of people from all around the world, experts in what they study. Um, so it really is quite an interesting job. Um, once you've commissioned a book, well, once you've come up with an idea for a book, the next stage would be to develop a proposal. And we'll go through an example of a proposal in uh, quite a bit of detail. Um, I'll talk you through how we uh, review the proposals and developing a business plan. And assuming that um, the reviews were good and the business plan was viable, the next stage would be to contract the project. Um, you then move on to the, uh, the longest stage of the process, which is the manuscript development. So essentially when we say to the author or editor, go away and, uh, and write the book. Um, 
and then you come on to the production and eventually the publication. So commissioning, well what is commissioning? Well essentially commissioning is coming up for, um, with an idea for a useful new book that's going to serve your market and fill a gap in the existing literature. It's all about coming up with an idea and also finding the right person to, to write that book or to edit that book. Um, so in some senses it, it may seem quite a simple prospect. Um, it's not. <laughs> um, it's, there's various different ways you can tackle commissioning, um, lots of tools at your disposal, and it really is a case of discovering what works for you as an individual. So when I first started commissioning, um, what I really wanted was for my manager to sit me down and say, Sarah, this is what you do for commissioning. You know, try this first, then this, then this. Um, but it's really not that simple, um, and it's very much a sort of process of learning, trying different things, some of them will work, some of them will be less successful, um, and different projects suit different approaches. So what I've done with this slide is, is highlighted a few of the approaches that, um, that I typically use um, when I'm looking to commission new projects. Um, and I'll talk you through some of them in a bit of detail. Um, but the key message here is, is that it's a case of using lots of different ideas in collaboration with each other. Um, so conferences is the first one. Um, as a commissioning editor, I typically attend maybe three or four conferences a year in chemistry, um, maybe a couple here in the UK and a couple um, in venues around the world. Um, and conferences are a really, really valuable way to get to know your community and your subject area. So when I attend a conference, um, the sort of two main things I do as a commissioning editor. The first would be to attend sessions, so I will go into um, seminars, workshops and sit in the talks and just try to get a feel for what's going on in my subject area, um, what the hot topics are, where the funding's going and just trying to really get a feel for where I should be focusing my efforts as a commissioning editor. Um, as I said before, you don't necessarily have to know about the content and it's fair to say that in most talks I sit in I understand maybe the first two slides and then I've lost it completely. Um, but actually it can be as simple as sitting in a session and sort of seeing how many people are there um, seeing which the popular sessions are can be a really useful way of saying well actually this is a really important topic area let's go away and see if there's any books on it. So the sessions are really really important. Um, the other thing that I use conferences for is to, to meet people in the community. So about a month before going to a conference I will scour through the scientific programme I'll pick out a few people that sound interesting, people I've never met before necessarily, um, but um, I'll pick them out based on their research areas and I'll try and set up meetings with them at the conference. Um, so when I'm at the conference, alongside the sessions, I'll try and meet with as many people as possible and just invite their feedback on sort of the subject, a um, bit of information about what they're working on um, and their advice for me really about how the book literature is serving their needs and where they see gaps in the market. So this is really valuable one-on-one -on -one, um, opportunity to talk to your customer at the end of the day and to, to get their guidance on what we should be doing as editors. So those are sort of the two key things at conferences and obviously on top of that you just have this great opportunity to network and just to sort of get known in your community and meet the people and be seen. Um, so my ultimate aim as a, a chemistry commissioning editor is for all of the chemists in inorganic and physical chemistry to know that the person to go to if they want to write a book is Sarah at Wiley. And it's going to take a long, long time and I may never get there, um, but it's very much just about building your profile. 
Uh, campus calling um, is a similar sort of idea in that this is an opportunity to set up meetings with academics. Um, so typically this is UK based and in a given year I might go around seven or eight chemistry departments in the UK. And again, it's a case of setting up meetings with people that are working in areas that interest me, um, asking for their feedback on subject areas, book opportunities. Um, and occasionally you will find that these meetings lead directly to a book, but more often than not, they're just a really valuable way to find out about the subject area and to get recommendations for, for new books. Journals I've listed on here um, as another really useful commissioning tool and this is obviously sort of something you can do on a far more regular basis and it's something that I use quite a lot because of my scientific background. Um, so I'm signed up to table of contents alerts for lots of different journals in my subject area and I'll try and read through these every couple of days just again to monitor what's happening in the research community and to try and translate that information into useful new book opportunities. Um, list management um, is really important. So this is about looking at your existing publication list and seeing um, whether it does what you want it to do, essentially. So looking at the titles that are doing particularly well on your list. If you've got a best-selling title, is it worth doing a new edition? You know, has the field moved on enough that it's worth trying to get a new edition out there? Or, if it's a particularly good title, should you be looking at other related topics in that subject area? So actually looking at your published titles can be a really good way to stimulate new ideas for other very successful books. Um, market research I've put on there um, covers all manner of things. Um, a few options that come to mind under market research is things like looking at your competitors. So I'm regularly looking at what uh, publishers like Springer, the Royal Society of Chemistry are doing, seeing where they're focusing their efforts, what books they're publishing, um, and also looking at what they're not publishing and trying to evaluate whether that's an opportunity for us as a publisher or actually is there a reason that they're avoiding that and should we be avoiding it too. Um, networking and visibility I've already touched on and I think um, this is something that's very much a case of building up over time. Um, but ultimately it would be great for us all to get to the point where the community knows us and things come to you rather than you chasing after them. So networking and visibility is key. Um, and then there's, I mean, I could carry this list on forever, um, but I don't want to spend the whole talk on commissioning. Um, another few options that come to mind are um, series editors and advisors that we have. So I have a number of academics whose role um, and link with Wiley is to talk to me every few months and to um, help me generate ideas for new books. So there's lots of useful resources like that that we use to build up a picture of what we should be focusing on. So assuming you've gone through some of these processes and you've come up with a few ideas for, for new book ideas, um, and hopefully you've got in mind someone that might be your first choice author or editor, what do you do next? Well, the idea is really just the beginning of the trail. And sometimes that idea can develop into a book really quickly. Sometimes it can take years, and sometimes you'll find it comes to absolutely nothing. Um, so persistence really is the key word here. Um, but the next step is obviously to, to sort of approach your first choice author or editor with your idea. Um, so typically for me, um, this would be in an email format. Um, and when constructing my email, I sort of have two things in mind. On one hand, I want to be really, really persuasive. And on the other hand, I want to sort of anticipate all of their concerns and worries and address them at the outset. 
So first of all, it's really important for me when I approach someone to put forward a really strong case for why I think this book is an, a necessary publication. Um, why are they the right person for the job as well? Flattery will get you everywhere in this industry. So if they're the leading researcher in the field, make it known that you're approaching them for that reason. Um, or if they've been recommended by a colleague, it doesn't hurt to throw that in either. Um, and why is this book needed? Well, that's a really great opportunity for you to show that you've done research and you've invested your time in this. I think the worst thing you could do at this stage is to write a really generic email so that they feel they're just one of a hundred other people who've been approached. Um, this is your opportunity to, to show that you've actually done your background research and it often makes them sort of take time to read through it, even if they don't want to accept your offer. And finally, why should they write for Wiley? Um, one of the great opportunities for me as a commissioning editor working for Wiley is that Wiley is really well known, particularly in chemistry. Um, we've got a reputation for really high quality chemistry books and we've got a great suite of journals that all of our authors know. Um, so those are really valuable tools for me to use as a commissioning editor and it's a really good idea to sort of make your authors aware of all the benefits that they have um, if they write for Wiley. And on the anticipation side of things, what do they need to know? If they're going to take me up on this offer, um, they're going to write a book for me or edit a book, what are their concerns likely to be? And it's true to say that a large majority of people on my book list have never written or edited a book before. So they're obviously going to have a few concerns. They may not um, know what's involved, what the workload's like. They might be a bit concerned that I'm expecting them to write a book in the next two months. So it's quite useful at the outset to start addressing these concerns and demonstrate what sort of support's on offer um, and the sort of flexibility that we have to offer them. So coming on to my case study book here, I thought I'd just talk you quickly through the commissioning process here. As I mentioned, Malcolm's based at Leeds University, and I first picked up his name and his interests um, when I was trawling through the Leeds University Chemistry Department website um, with a view to going up there on a campus visit. And I picked up some of his interests and thought it sounded interesting and started to look into it. Started to do a bit of market research, finding out what else was out there. Amazon is a wonderful tool for finding out um, all the other um, books in a field. Um, and it became obvious that the only book in this area had um, published in 2004. And it was quite clear from all the journal articles in the interim that things had moved on a long way. So when I started to approach Malcolm, um, stepped up the persuasion. I pointed out that I'd done all this background research and I identified this reference from 2004 and put forward my argument for why I thought there was a need for a new book. Um, and then I threw in a bit of flattery as well and said I thought he was the man for the job um, and he was really interested. So we had a bit of a um, sort of conversation over the next month or two over email and eventually over the telephone. Um, we discussed a few of the options available to him, the advantages of doing an authored book versus an edited book, the sort of time frame we'd be looking at and the support from Wiley and processes involved. And after uh, a couple of months, Malcolm said, yeah, that sounds great. I think I'd really like to give this a go. Let's do a proposal. So this brings me on to the next stage of the process, the proposal. Um, and at Wiley, we have a standard form that we send out to all our prospective authors and editors just to help them structure their proposal. Um, and to include all of the really important information that we need from them at the outset. Um, so this is an example of the form here, um, and it's broken down into a few key areas. The first few bits, um, we ask them to write a bit about the topic. Um, 
So this is just written at a really sort of layperson's level, really. Um, gives us a feel for, for what the topic's about, and we ask them to write a paragraph or two about why they think this book would be a valuable asset. We then ask them um, to write about their proposed coverage, and this is really the heart of the form. Um, it's essentially a draft table of contents. Um, and in the case of an edited book, we'd also ask them to suggest potential authors for each chapter so that we can get a feel for the pedigree of the people that we'll be writing um, and their geographical uh, spread as well. We'd ask our, our potential author to comment on the market and readership. So who do they think will need this book? Who will be buying it? And we also ask them to, to comment on the competition and any related titles so that we can get a feel for how this book will sit in the market. Once they've prepared a review, um, the next stage is to, sorry, a proposal. The next stage is to review this externally. And this is really our opportunity to verify that there is really a need for this book. And it's not just a wild idea that I've constructed and my author thinks is a great idea. And we need to check that if we're going to all this trouble that someone's going to buy it at the end of the day. And it's also a really useful opportunity to, to invite feedback from the rest of the field about the coverage that's proposed. Quite often reviewers will identify topics that should be covered and currently aren't listed. Um, and we also ask them to comment on the author or editor, so just to check we've got the right person lined up for the job. And typically we would send it out to maybe 10 people, um, a combination of people that the author has suggested and that we have as contacts as well. Um, and over a course of maybe three to, uh, four to six weeks, we'd hope to get at least three or four reviews back. And we'd share all of that feedback with the author or editor. Um, anonymously, um, but just so that they have an opportunity to comment on any suggestions or concerns that are raised. And most um, authors and editors really value this, this process and find the feedback really, really constructive and it ultimately helps to develop a much stronger book. So assuming you're starting to get good reviews in and it's looking like a goer, um, the next stage is to develop a business plan. And um, rather than go through lots of numbers with you, I thought I'd try and condense this into a few key questions, which is sort of what structures your plan. So the first few questions here are sort of related to the specification of the book. I think the first thing I start to think about is what's my market? Am I developing a student textbook for second, third year undergraduates that want a nice paperback edition that they can afford to buy? Or am I going to develop a hardback professional research level book that's going to be bought by libraries and academics? And what format would be most appropriate? So are we doing paperback, are we doing hardback, or are we doing both? Um, we would have a discussion with the author about how many pages they're expecting to write. Um, and obviously this is quite a difficult thing to do at the outset, but it has really important implications for the business plan because um, a number of pages you publish has implications for the pricing of the book and also the costs involved in producing it. So we try to come up with an estimate at this early stage. And we'd also discuss things like the use of colour, whether it's necessary, because again, this all impacts on your production costs. So once you've built up a sort of idea for the book that you're going to publish, um, you need to start thinking about pricing of the book. Um, what would be a reasonable price for your target market? And how many copies do you think you're going to be able to sell? Um, if you're publishing a really quite specific high-level academic book, in all likelihood you're going to sell far less copies than you are of a third-year undergraduate textbook that supports various courses. So over time you start to get a feel for likely sales units um, and our marketing colleagues are really helpful here and they can provide valuable input. Um, you also need to work out the costs involved. 
what's Wiley going to have to invest to publish this book? So the key areas you're going to incur costs are the production of the book, the costs for copy editing, typesetting, and ultimately printing. Um, you're going to be paying royalties to your author or editor in most cases, so again, you have to account for that. Um, and overheads, so you know the costs associated with my time as a commissioning editor, my colleagues in marketing, etc. And ultimately, when you feed all this into your business plan, what you're trying to work out is whether the, profit, um, the project is profitable. And we're ultimately looking at a few key um, numbers, for example, the total revenue that you can expect to gain from the book and the margin that you're going to make once you've accounted for all your costs. So assuming that you've got good reviews and your business plan looks like it's going to make Wiley some money, um, the next thing to do would be to take it forward for approval. And the way we work at Wiley is we have what we call a publications committee meeting. They happen every Monday and it's a group of people from editorial and marketing that sit down together and to discuss new projects. And I would take a project forward um, with a copy of my business plan, a brief summary of the project, I'd present the proposal and the reviews and any feedback that I've had from the author in response to the reviewer's comments. And after a five or ten minute discussion, in the, hopefully my project would be approved and I'd get the go ahead for moving forward for the contract stage. So quickly reverting back to my case study, this is an example of the proposal that Malcolm produced for me. Um, obviously only the first two pages. I think in total it was maybe six or seven pages. Um, and you won't be able to read it because it's quite small, but these first two pages is Malcolm's um, description of the topic area and his rationale for why he thinks this book would be useful. And on the second page here, you can just see the beginnings of his draft table of contents. So he listed chapter by chapter and he suggested um, appropriate authors and page extents for each chapter. So this was really useful information for the external reviewers. Um, once your project is approved internally, the next stage is to prepare a contract to formalise your arrangement with the author or the editor. Um, and the first thing to say is that we're not legal experts and no one expects you to be, unless you're in the legal team. Um, the way we work at Wiley is that we have a basic template that really suits almost all of our projects, um, with a few variables that you change from project to project. And if anything unusual crops up, your author requests something particularly bizarre, um, we would then refer that back to our legal team. So at no point am I expected to start writing contracts, which is a relief. Um, the key features of a contract offer um, when you go back to your author are as follows. Um, the first thing they always want to know about is the royalty that they're going to get on publication. Um, and the schedule is really important as well. So we try and set a provisional schedule for when they'll finalise their table of contents, when they'll produce sample material, and most importantly, when they're planning to submit their final manuscript. We'd discuss an approximate page extent for the reasons I discussed earlier, and again, we would put that in the contract to try and keep them as far as possible to that extent. If we've agreed on colour, we would uh, reflect that in the contract, and we'd also deal the num um, detail the number of, number of complementary copies that we're going to offer them on publication, the deal for any contributing authors in the case of edited books. Um, and sometimes there are requests from colleagues at pubcoms um, who, for example, have suggested a slight tweak to the title or have commented on the need for particular topics to be included. So I would include all of that in my contract offer. And hopefully they would agree and I would start preparing the contract. Um, the contract covers all manner of things. They're really quite long documents that are designed to cover every single state of affairs that could ever happen. Um, and it's taken me quite a few years to start to <laughs> recognise all of the, the aspects of the contract myself. 
Um, but essentially it comes down to outlining the author or editor responsibilities. What are we expecting from them? On what time scale? And what happens if these expectations aren't met? It also outlines our guarantees to them um, and basically what we're planning to do to support their work on the book. Um, copyright is an important aspect of the contract. Um, typically for our projects, copyright is transferred to Wiley in the majority of cases. And there's various advantages to the author of doing this. Um, it gives us more power to protect their book against the ever-growing problem of piracy. There's a few administrative benefits. Um, for example, if people want to reuse portions of their book, we take on the administration of, of sort of allowing that. Um, but there are exceptions and authors that aren't willing to transfer copyright. Um, and one key category of, of exceptions is US government employees. And we get a lot of this in science, US people working for the big labs out there. Um, and by law, they're not allowed to transfer copyright because the US government retains all of their copyright. Um, another key feature of our contract is covering translation rights. Um, so again, for the majority of our books, we would um, have rights to translate into a number of different languages. Um, and at Wiley, we have a dedicated rights team who actively pursue translation possibilities. Um, so quickly, just looking at my case study on the contract, um, it was signed in November 2010, and this is the schedule we agreed. So the manuscript was um, supposed to be submitted to us in May 2012. Um, in reality, it came in a little later than that, but we'll come to that in a minute. The guideline page extent was 448 pages, and we agreed to a minimal amount of colour um, to be produced in a colour plate section, so that was detailed in the contract as well, along with details of the editor royalty and the deal for contributors. So they were all entitled to receive a complimentary copy of the book when it published, to a maximum of two for every chapter. So manuscript development, well this is really the really long phase of the process. In the majority of cases you're looking at at least a year, um, in many cases it's more like two. And this is where we send the author or editor away to prepare the book um, with as much or as little input from us as they want. And this is where I hand over to our team called Content Management at Wiley. Um, and at this point Content Management take over the day-to-day -day, um, contact with the author or editor. Um, and I have a colleague, um, whose job role is project editor, also called Sarah, which confuses no end of our authors. Um, and I introduce her at this stage um, as their day-to-day -day contact. Um, and basically, Sarah's role is to give them lots of practical advice and support as they prepare their manuscript. So she's an expert on all sorts of formatting issues, on all the different file types they could provide, and she would go through sample material and provide feedback and all that kind of practical stuff. Um, I don't disappear from the picture, I'm still on hand, so we basically act as a double act at that point, um, and I just refer any difficult practical questions to Sarah. Um, so typically when she introduces herself to authors, she'd send them out a list of guidelines um, on formatting, <laughs> and what to do if they want to use third-party material in their book. Um, and in chemistry, it's obviously um, particularly important to discuss um, chemical structures, because so many of our books have these in them, um, so we discuss how, uh, how best to present those as well. Um, but as I said, the editorial team still remain a really important point of contact. Of contact. Um, ultimately, the book is my responsibility from beginning to end. So any changes that affect the content of the book, the structure, or anything that might affect the business plan is always my call. And I've put the button there, sample material encouraged, just so that we can anticipate any problems early on. For editor books, obviously, it's also important to formalise the relationship with the chapter authors, 
So one of the first things we do at this stage for edited books is we would prepare an agreement with each individual chapter author um, to uh, basically outline the terms and conditions of us publishing their chapter. These are far shorter than the editor agreements, they're only about three pages long, um, and the key things they cover are the deadline for when they're supposed to submit their chapter to the editor, um, again a guideline page extent and any compensation that we're going to pay them or books that they're due to receive. And I've just put copyright permissions in here and that's just because this is one of the sort of most commonly asked questions from our authors um, and it takes up quite a lot of our time so I thought I'd, I'd just cover it quickly. Um, basically if anyone wants to include previously published material in their book they need to request copyright permission to use that in the book. Um, and this even tends to affect work from that person. So if someone has published in a journal, even though it's their own work, they've most likely transferred copyright of that image to the journal publisher. So we do just need to go through the process and check that we're okay to use that in a Wiley book. And technically this is the responsibility of the authors, um, but it's pretty common for us to get involved giving advice and assistance and sometimes just doing them for the authors, which we try and avoid at all costs. Um, but it is getting easier. There's a set of permissions guidelines for um, STM publishers which facilitate the routine requests. So, for example, the big academic publishers like Springer, Oxford University Press, the Royal Society of Chemistry have all signed up to basically say, you can use a limited amount of our material if we can use a bit of yours. Um, so there's a certain amount of fair use associated with it and it makes the process quite quick. Um, there's also an online um, service called RightsLink now that's become um, really quite common over the past few years, which makes the process a lot quicker again. Um, I've included a screenshot of one of our journals at Wiley, and you can see at the bottom left here there's a little tab on this journal page, um, Request Permissions. So if an author wants to use a figure from this paper, all they have to do is click on that, set up an account with RightsLink, a few clicks later they've got permission free of charge. So it's getting a lot easier. Um, okay, so the manuscript hopefully um, eventually is finished and it's submitted to Wiley. Um, we term it in-house. What happens next? Well, the first thing is that the project editor would review the manuscript in consultation with me as a commissioning editor, essentially just to check that it's what we're expecting, it covers the topics we want it to, um, and it all looks good quality. Um, and one of the first things we do is we send it to get a cast-off. So we want to work out if this Word document will actually translate into however many pages. Um, and this is the point where we go back to the business plan because bear in mind that this book's probably come in two years after you first contracted it and a huge amount can have changed in the interim. So you need to go back to your business plan, reconsider it in light of the actual page extent, any format changes that you've agreed to, um, the competition that's published in the interim. So are there any books on this topic that have emerged from a competitor in the last year? Um, and any changes in the market and sales patterns. So a key one for us at the moment is the transition from print to digital publishing. Um, two years ago, we probably weren't expecting to sell as many e-books as we are now. So we're going back to all of our costings and starting to allow for that increase, um, sort of pickup of, of e-books as well. Um, so assuming the manuscript looks great and we've basically said to the author, yep, it's what we're expecting, we'll start production. And this is the point where we send it out to our vendors for copy editing and typesetting. And they'll make the manuscript look like you'd expect in a printed book. So this is an example of a first proof on the left here. Um, once these are produced, they'd be sent back to the authors to go through and proofread. And this is really the rate determining step of the whole production process. So hopefully they would return their corrected proofs within two to three weeks. Um, but in reality, it can take longer. 
On the editorial side of things, we're responsible for putting together the front matter of the book, the table of contents, the acknowledgements, the preface. We also coordinate the cover design and cover copy process um, with input from the author or editor. So we work with the design team to produce the cover um, and to write the blurb on the back of the book. So the development and production of my Halpro book. Um, well, it's fair to say that Malcolm was a really strong editor, which made the whole process really quite straightforward. Um, as you'll have noticed, it was actually four months later than expected, but in the grand scheme of things, this really isn't anything. Um, Malcolm was in regular contact with me. Um, the eagle-eyed monkey may have noticed it came in quite a lot longer than it was supposed to, uh, by about 100 pages. So actually, we changed the format of the book to compensate for this, going to a slightly larger page size. Um, Malcolm was great, he had a clear idea for the cover, which made the design process really easy. Um, and the whole process for production took about seven months from submission to publication, which may seem like quite a long time, but when you bear in mind all of the processes that go on there, it's a reasonable time frame. So you get to publication, um, and actually you've done most of the hard work, and the publication can always feel a bit of an anticlimax. And all you really have to do is notify the author or editor and any chapter authors. You would issue any complimentary copies that were due and raise any payments where necessary. And it's important to keep an eye on the stock. Um, so we have uh, warehouses all around the world at Wiley, um, and it's up to the people that man those warehouses to order the stock. Um, but I do like to check that there's right stocks in the right place so that when it actually publishes, people can buy the thing. Um, any pre-orders are fulfilled immediately when the stock arrives, um, and this is where the marketing side of things really kicks off in earnest. Um, so just to briefly touch on some of our standard marketing um, at Wiley, um, I think one of the most important things is our trade and academic representation. So we have sales representatives worldwide who work really closely with booksellers and academic libraries. Um, in the US, for example, you can have two or three universities that are covered by one dedicated contact, so they build up really close relationships with the library representatives. Um, and we produce a, um, a catalogue twice a year that showcases all of our newly published titles to, uh, to send around to the librarians so that they can see what they might want to order. Conferences, again, are really important, not just for commissioning, but actually for marketing. Um, so we would display all of our new content at a conference in chemistry. Um, books are showcased at a conference for at least two years following publication. And um, after that, if they're particularly strong titles. Um, and you can go to some of the large chemistry conferences, and our booth is amazing. It looks like a bookshop, um, and it's fantastic. You see people milling around, browsing our content. Um, but we also showcase at slightly smaller meetings as well, um, more subject-specific conferences, where it's simply a case of a tabletop display with any relevant books in that subject area. Um, and obviously, we can't cover every single conference in chemistry because it, there's probably a conference on every single day of the year. But if our authors are attending conferences that we simply can't attend ourselves, we'll always make sure to produce flyers, marketing material. We can set up um, author discounts for any of their colleagues. Um, so we just encourage as much marketing in the community as we can. Um, we obviously produce catalogues subject, um, by subject, um, and these are quite often now sent out in digital format via e-marketing campaigns, which are targeted um, into specific subject areas. Um, we have really great lists um, of people that are interested in our products and get these regular updates in newsletters. And social media is obviously becoming a really important thing these days as well. So our marketing team um, 
manage a really successful Facebook page, Chemistry by Wiley, which has got well over 45,000 likes, I think, now. So this is a really useful way for them to um, not only showcase our new, project, uh, new products, but actually to invite feedback directly from our customers about how we're doing and whether we're doing the right things. Um, so that dialogue is also really useful. Chemistry Views I've listed here is another really useful tool at our, resource, at our um, fingertips in chemistry. And this is basically a chemistry portal that we've set up at Wiley that brings together all of our chemistry content across books, journals, databases, etc., and showcases them alongside timely news articles as well. So the idea is that sort of your typical chemist would um, just browse through the site and find out more about what Wiley's got to offer. Um, we produce author packs, just giving our authors tips on how they can do self-promotion. Um, and there's obviously sort of the traditional um, routes as well, such as book reviews. Um, so for my case study title, um, we really are sort of doing all of the above. But I wanted to highlight here um, a particularly good example of um, sort of cross-product uh, marketing at Wiley. Um, so we have a particularly high-impact journal, the European Journal of Inorganic Chemistry, which happens to be doing a special issue on the exact same topic around the same sort of time. So this is a great opportunity for us to um, market our book in the journal and vice versa. Um, so this advert here, our marketing team have produced to put in the print um, version of the journal. We're also going to be advertising online alongside the um, digital version. The editor of the journal is going to be referring to my book in the editorial of the special issue. Um, so this is just a really great opportunity to target um, the exact market for this book. Um, so it's worked out really, really well. Okay, we're coming to the end now. Um, I'll just touch briefly on backlist management um, because although it's not sort of my main focus, it's a really important aspect of my job. And as I said before, this is basically managing um, the list of published titles on your list. So once they publish, they don't just go away. There's a certain amount of management you need to do. Um, and the obvious thing here is stock control, um, so reprints and what we call ultra-short run. Um, so stock control is really just about thinking ahead and making sure you never run out of stock. Um, and it's really important to try and think a few months ahead because it's going to take you a month or two possibly to reprint your book. And if your book's a textbook that gets adopted by a university in September every year, you don't want to get to August and find that you've forgotten to order more stock. So um, every month you tend to review your current stock levels and action any reprints. As I mentioned before, new editions is really important. So um, monitor your sales and identify key best-selling titles. Um, and if any, if a sufficient amount of time has evolved between now and the previous edition, is it worth looking at a new one? Has the field changed much? Um, and would it be possible for the author to prepare a minimum of 30% new material? Um, usually it'd be the same author, but there are cases where you bring in new authors for new editions. Translations, I mentioned before, um, is managed by our dedicated rights team, um, but with input from us in editorial as well. Um, and regular list analysis is really important, and it all feeds back into commissioning. Identifying the strengths and gaps in your programme, any opportunities in market developments. And I've put at the bottom here, maintaining relationships. As I said, once you publish, that's not the end of the process. And it's all about building up your profile, building up your network, and actually your authors that you've spent two or three years developing a relationship with, hopefully will continue to be really useful contacts and they might come back to you in a few years' time and write another book. So relationships are really key to this industry. And finally, my last slide. Um, when I was asked to give this talk, I was asked to give a perspective on how I thought the industry was changing. And my first reaction was, I can't possibly comment. I've only been in publishing for four and a half years. 
And then I thought about it and I realised how much has changed just in those four and a half years. Um, and so I've just put a few things that first came to mind for me. And the, main, the most obvious one, I think, for everyone is this transition to digital. Ebooks are gaining market share, although print is still dominant at the moment. Um, but over the past two years, things are changing rapidly. There's a variety of new devices and customers are expecting more functionality for their books. And it's more about content than format. So they don't really care whether it's a journal or a book if they want to know about a particular topic. Um, so it's all about functionality and sort of breaking down those barriers. Authors are under more pressure than ever. Funding worries job security. Um, demands on their, um, other demands on their time. Um, so it's getting harder and harder to sign them up to write books. Um, but it is possible and it makes the job more interesting. And I'd just like to finish on a nice note for me as a as books commissioning editor, which was the announcement of the Thompson Book Citation Index last year, which is just a nice little tool to throw into commissioning for me. And it's a way for authors to get the impact of their books recognised, which is just that extra little incentive for them. So in summary, I think it's more important than ever to think ahead. If we look at the books process, you're looking two or three years down the line when a book publishes, and the industry will most likely have changed beyond all recognition. So it's, as far as possible, important to try and anticipate those changes and sort of allow for them at the outset.